Everybody, welcome to episode 302 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. It was supposed to snow and be a blizzard in New York City, and there's not an ounce of snow on the ground. And I know I owe you an interview with Quinn from Deep Root Pinball, and that is coming this week early on. I am transcribing it. I'm not really transcribing it, I'm just too lazy right now to upload it into my system and get it up on the air, but it's coming real soon. But the reason why I've cut in front of that podcast is I woke up and I just had something that was on my mind that I wanted to share with you. And I think that's what makes this podcast special is is I don't really have an agenda. I don't really have a schedule of things to come. I sort of go with the flow. I sort of I, I attach to the culture of the hobby, I think in real time and give you guys what I think a lot of people are thinking about. So in this episode, we're going to cover a few bit of news items, but then I want to get to the heart of what I want to talk about. And that is a very simple concept is does fun equal value in pinball? And what do we mean by that? Because we hear that all the time that a game has to be fun and that's what's most important. But does that mean that a game should be worth 100, 1000, 10,000, 25,000, at what point does the conversation shift from being about fun to being about value? And I think it's something that all pinball people, I believe this hobby struggles with that. And I think they struggle significantly with that. But before we talk about that, and when we do talk about that, I actually have a statement from Zach Sharp at Stern Marketing about that topic because I asked him to come on the show a couple months ago. Uh, he declined to come on, but he did give me a statement about his belief on the subject. So I think you're going to find what he says pretty interesting. Uh, before we do that, a few news items, and then we'll get right into it. All right. So number one on my news item list is that Chicago Gaming Company has come out and they have explained why, why there is a delay in getting people their Monster Bash remake LEs. And I want to read what they wrote. They said... I want to make a quick update on Monster Bash production. First off, I apologize for the delays in the LE production. As many of you know, we manufacture all of our playfields in-house. Each Monster Bash playfield is carefully hand silkscreened with 10 spot colors. This is how the original playfields were manufactured. The spot colors create a color spectrum far richer and wider than what we can produce using four color process. Each playfield we produce is a unique handcrafted piece of art with its own unique characteristics. I believe we were the we are the only pinball machine manufacturer still utilizing spot colors on our playfields. Some have moved away from screen printing altogether and now digitally print their playfields in four color process. Digitally printing is certainly more consistent and far less expensive, but it comes with certain compromises. We are trying to keep the bar as high as possible and not compromise quality. I believe with few exceptions, the playfields we have shipped in every Monster Bash have been beautiful. We do not hold 
sorry, we do hold even higher standards for playfields going into LEs. To date, our production has yielded less LE-worthy playfields than we hoped. As a result, we have produced some SCs and CEs, um, more SCs and CEs than originally scheduled, and less LEs. We have made several changes in the screen printing process, and we are finally seeing much improved results. These results are starting uh, to allow us to move forward quickly through the production of LEs. The number of people participating in our serial number matching program far exceeded expectations. There were 246. We are anticipating completing all domestic serial number matching program LEs by February 1st. After that, we will focus on the balance of domestic and international LEs. I want to thank everyone for their support and allowing us to do work that we love. All right, so what do I think about that statement? Really interesting update because there is a level of transparency and honesty there that I think is interesting. And that is the word I will use because they were really honest. And what they said, and there's no way of taking it back now, is that they will put better play fields in the LEs versus the CEs and the SEs. And that has made people upset that you all are not getting the same quality play field. You know how like CPR does the gold, the silver, and the bronze, I believe, you know, in terms of quality, if there was like a little mistake, that that is a cheaper play field, but they're still all really nice. So what do you think about that for a minute? Now, you all out there, you crave transparency from manufacturers, right? You want to know the truth. Well, they just told you the truth, that people who spend more money are going to get the better play field, and they're going to take extra care of the LE owners and make sure that their play fields are more flawless than the other two versions of the game. Do you think Stern would ever come out and say that? That the LE playfield buyers, that they're going to make sure that those people get the nicer playfields? Never. They would never even have you believe that there's any difference between, let's say, a Deadpool LE and a Deadpool premium playfield. Um, this opens the door for the people who are buying the other versions to not feel as good about what they're getting. Uh, it doesn't do any benefit other than make the LE people feel like they're getting something that's improved and better and more special. Now, I want to uh, I want to talk about this from the other angle because shouldn't you get a better product when you spend more money? I remember for the longest time, people used to speculate on a certain game and they used to speculate if it had an extra coat of clear. Remember? Back in the day when Stern started doing limited editions, there was always like these mythological rumors about the, the playfield having extra clear on it, and that's why it was nicer, and that's that was one of the differences with the LEs. Stern never confirmed, has has never, and will never, ever put down in writing that a game got an extra code of clear uh, because it was a limited edition. Now, in other industries, in other hobbies, in other collectibles, uh, there are times when if you pay more, you get something like that. Like there might be a, a, a I always use arguments, but in some Mercedes or Porsches, sure, there, there are paint options in which you can you can order nicer paint for a higher price, but that doesn't really relate to pinball. I think pinball is different. If you're going to make a play field nicer on the LE, uh, you have to come out and say that, but, but what's weird is 
everyone expects every play field to be perfect. Whether you buy a pro or a premium, a $5,000 machine, a $2,000 machine, play field perfection is just always expected out of the box. Nobody wants a play field with any blemishes or any hazing or any chipping or anything, right? It's You're just not going to get away with selling something brand new to someone, and it's not perfect out of the box. And so I think Chicago Gaming Company really messed this up, and, and that statement is not good. They should have thought about what they were saying. They should have thought about the anticipated feedback to that, and now I think they're going to have CE and SE buyers being like, well, like what? Like, what did I get? And didn't some LEs already go out the door? And were those LEs flawless or were they just, uh, they didn't catch the problem until later on? I don't know. But you see what happens when you're, when you don't, when you don't really take the art of communication too seriously and you just say whatever happened without thinking it through, uh, you, you can get yourself in trouble. And that's why part of my industry exists. It's not what I do. I don't do the the issues in crisis. I, I you know I don't I don't think companies should tell you everything. I really don't. Uh, I, I think they should just give everyone uh, a satisfactory product out of box. But I don't want to know that the 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 SEs and the CEs are not going to get playfield as nice as the LDs. And I think you all agree. All right. All right. Let's go on to the next topic here. So. Um, Let's talk about this because the tide is turning on the Munsters. And if you read Pinside, I've always said it. You give people two weeks and they'll come back with some reason that, that they don't like the game that they all of a sudden loved, right? And that's that's the, that's the a concept that I watch play out time and time again. Given enough time, everyone will, will talk themselves out of being excited for a game. It's why you need to get your game to people quickly because if you give them enough time aka Pirates of the Caribbean, an entire year to think about it, people will find reasons to fall out of love with the machines. It's never the other way around, right? There's never been a game that was revealed like a year ago and a year passes by and over that time, people found new ways to fall in love with that machine. Has happened never, all right? Now look, it's not like Batman 66 where yeah, 2 years later people love the machine cuz the code was updated. That's different. You know, I think that these games now are are really designed to create a short hype window to get people to jump in without ever playing it and by the time people wake up, no one's really sure what they bought. But anyway, here's what people are complaining about with the monsters. They're looking at the game and they are saying, "Wait a minute." That really big Dracula target and the Lily targets on the left and right of the game. There is like one big target. The, the Dracula one looks like it's like six inches long. The Lily one's like four inches. Instead of spelling each letter by hitting individual targets, one hit anywhere on that big target spells a letter. And people are looking at that and saying, well, that's really cheap. That's not fun to hit. And that's another example of how Stern is cost-cutting in these games. And I think the bigger concern for people is how easy it is. And I think people who play pinball, they want there to be a little bit of a level of difficulty. Uh, you know. But like I'm looking at my Batman right now, and they got the gadgets lined up. And they're not drop targets, but they are individual targets. And I will say, they spell gadget, and you have to hit the corresponding target with the letter. It's just more rewarding to see the word being spelled on the play field because you're hitting the corresponding letter. Uh, there's no denying that. Uh, does it reek of being cheap? 
absolutely. You would rather have drop targets there. You get drop targets uh, in Deadpool. Why don't you get them? Uh, you get the drop targets in front of the Deadpool character, but then you don't get them on the side. Stern really has taken drop targets out of most of their games. Uh, how rewarding is the Beatles because of the drop targets? Like Beatles is the most rewarding thing is are hitting those drops. Imagine if you looked at the Beatles and you replaced those drop targets with just a, a you know a, a mono block target that didn't go down and didn't move and you just had to spell you know fab four by hitting a single target in each area how boring that would be there's something that we physically love about seeing a target go up and down you know people love it in acdc it's just so rewarding we got it in avengers and so uh, yeah it doesn't it doesn't add to the game now the other thing people are complaining about is the code people are playing the monsters and saying after 10 minutes i feel like i saw all there is to see I got to a wizard mode on my first ball, yada, yada, yada. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you when it comes to this stuff because the ultimate lesson is always the same. You got to play the game to make sure you want to. You want to have it. And the thing that I think is is really, you know, again, I've been in this hobby for enough time to just say this bluntly to all of you who listen to this show. How do you know when you want to own a machine? You, you love the theme, you love the artwork, is that enough? You don't know if the game is shallow, you don't know if they're trying to make this Monsters game really easy, uh, similar to Monster Bash, right? Not very deep, but very fun, right? It's very fun, Monster Bash, but it gets boring old quickly if you're a good player, as people say. There's a lot of debate about that. You know, so like, the, the ultimate thing is, you don't really know you want to spend $9,000 or $7,500 on the machine and you want to own it in your house unless you've played it a bunch of times and you, you, you feel confident that it's going to have the replay value that you're looking for. But they're all sold out. Stern sold. I think now they're sold out of all 600 Munsters LEs. They're selling premiums left and right. They've probably sold... Uh, let me just, uh, I'm going to say in a whim, Stern has probably sold the eight, like a thousand to 1500 monsters already, right? A thousand to 1500. And I bet out of those 1500 buyers, probably only 50 to a hundred people have actually played the game. So think about it. 1400 people are just going in on it, not even knowing if they'll really like the game. And that's where we are with the hobby. That is where the new inbox craze comes from. And I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I love sitting on the sidelines. I love watching all of this transpire. Because we all know a year from now, a Monsters LE will be worth $1,500 less. We all know the premiums will be worth $1,500 to $2,000 less. And those people saying that I'm crazy, you're crazy, because you know what game's next? Superman 78 is next from Stern. That's what I'm hearing. That's what distributors are telling people. Superman 78 by, uh, I, I don't know, either Steve Ritchie or Brian Eddy. So what is that? Is, is that a title that you want more than the Monsters? I think more people are fans of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies than the Monsters TV show. Uh, which only had two seasons before Batman 66 put it out of business. That's what happened. People wanted Batman more. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. These games, it, it's the hype is so strange. But we're going to talk more about that when we talk about fun equals value. But anyway, that's what happened. 
But here's 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 a good example of, of the hobby, and I'm going to use someone who has another pinball podcast. I'm going to use Marty, for example, from Head to Head Pinball. So Marty on a recent show said how much he loved playing Pirates of the Caribbean. He played the game. You know, Jack makes a trip all the way over to Australia to hang out with the you know the Australian collectors and the community. He brings pirates with him. He spends all this money getting over there. Marty plays Pirates of the Caribbean, thinks it's great, has a lot of fun playing it. He orders a Munsters that he's never played. I mean, just that that is the hobby in a nutshell. And Marty's not alone. A lot of you people out there do it. You, you know, you, you for some reason, you, you, you maybe you just see enough. Maybe you think you've seen enough pinball videos and streams. And maybe it's because he interviewed Dwight. I don't know. But for whatever reason... You know, that's indicative of where we are. He bought a game he's never played and passed on a game that he played and loved. I, I, I don't understand anymore how to really apply intelligent, critical thinking to this hobby. I, I really don't. I, I think you listen to this podcast for pure entertainment uh, because my mind, my, my collegiate... <laughs> You know, I went to really good schools, expensive schools my parents sent me to. I can't apply my critical thinking and common sense to this hobby anymore. I just can't on any level, right? I can't. Uh, and, you know, so speaking of Marty too, I just have to, I have to bring this up for, 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 uh, for you guys out there. For, for The Twippy debate continues to rage on. And, and I think we're done talking about Munsters. The Twippy debate continues to rage on. And over at Head to Head, they said something interesting. They said... Um, what they're they're talking about the Twippies. What they're meant to do is celebrate pinball, but like everything in life, that's not always what happens, right? And I'm just I just want to I just want to respond to that because Jeff, Greg, and Zach put on an amazing show last year. And what about the Twippies? Um, was not celebrating pinball, you know? And I don't get it. I, I think what he's referring to. And I think for you guys who listen to this show, and this is why I bring it up, is if you go back to last year when we won the Twippy for Best Pinball Podcast, and you know what happened? A lot of the other pinball podcasts out there refused when they did their recap of the Twippies. They refused to say that Canada's Pinball Podcast won the Twippy. They actually skipped the category. I think Head to Head did that to me. I know a few others did, Buffalo did, Slam Tilt did it as well. And so when they're saying stuff like, you know, it's meant to celebrate the best in pinball, but that's always not what happens. What they mean is that Canada's Pinball Podcast winning is not a celebration of what's best in pinball. And what they're so what they're implying is that I'm a bad member of the pinball community, that this show is not healthy, that this show is not celebrating all that's great in pinball. And I've always said, if this show was just a negative Nancy show, if we just came out here to poo-poo on the pinball hobby and the industry, nobody would listen, right? This show is not a negative tirade against pinball. In fact, I think my love for pinball is sincere. And, and I think this show has always been about trying to get the best pinball product for you, the customer. Not only that, trying to get people to think differently about chasing after every new machine and spending so much money on machines without thinking about it twice, right? So then Marty came back on and he clarified what he meant. And I want to read this right now. He says, we love the Twippies. Don't get us wrong and have had a good chat with Jeff about it. We would really like it if people voted for us and we 
And if we won, we would be over the moon. But when it has a competitive nature to it, which it has become to an extent, we are saying that we are not going to be competitive. All right, I want to stop Marty right there. Because, again, I mean, look, it'd be, yeah, it'd be really convenient if this show didn't talk about any of the drama or any of the, okay, this is not drama. Marty, for you to say that statement, I love your show, guys. I do. And I still, I, here's, here's the thing. Do you know where it got competitive? You know who, who fired the first shot that made it not fun? When there was a thread on Pinside a couple months ago that said, do you listen to Pinball Podcast? And it was a great thread. People were just talking about what they listened to. A lot of people responded that they, that they listened to Canada's Pinball Podcast. And you know what happened? Ben Heck came on and said his favorite show was Canada's Pinball Podcast because, you know, we sort of call it like it is. And we, we, we're, we're a little bit shooting from the hip, but we're, we don't hold punches, right? So what happened after he said that? Ryan came on and posted this huge thread about how when Ben Heck was on Head to Head, it got twice as many listens as Canada's Pinball Podcast, how how I'm negative, this and that, and uh, you know I focus on the drama, and basically just threw me under the bus just because Ben Heck said he liked my show more. And so I, I just f- have a hard time for Marty to say it's not, you know, when it's not fun, he doesn't want to, you know, he's, they're not about that. That's not how they roll. That's, but, but I don't, I, I, again, go back and listen to all of my shows and, and point out where I threw any of the other podcasts under the bus. And yet these are the kinds of arrows that I've got stuck in my back over and over and over again, but at least own up to it. That's the thing. At least own up to it. it if you, if you are competing, and if you then just own up to it. The one thing I can never understand too is, uh, you know, behind the scenes, and this is what Ryan did. Behind the scenes, Marty and Ryan are saying they get like 4,000 people to listen to every show, which is cool. I mean, I hope they get 4,000 people to listen to every show. That's twice as many people that comes up on usually more than twice as many that supposedly listen to Canada's Pinball Podcast. But then it started to make no sense that in that thread, the podcast that people kept saying over and over and over again that they listen to is this one. So how do they have 4,000 people listening if this one's only got two, but yet when people are chiming in, so that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I don't know. And that's why the Twippies, I think, are cool because it's like a good time to see what people enjoy the most. And I'm going to leave it at that, but I just think that uh, you know when you're honest, and, and, and you tell people exactly what's really going on, it's better. It's better. It, like, I would just love for them to come out and say, we would love to beat Canada. And then, you know, when they list all the interviews they do, that's great. I mean, look, they have a completely different format of show. It's a it's two to three hour show with an interview every time. You know what you're going to get. On this show, you don't know what you're going to get at any point. I might have someone great on. I might not. I might just talk to you. But again, this is my show, Canada's Pinball Podcast, and I love that you love it, and I have no hard feelings against any other pinball podcasts that are out there. All that I ask of of all of them is just stop ignoring my existence. Like, how silly is that? Like, I'm here. It's like you, I'm not like Moses where you can strip me from all the records of, of, of Egypt I will set you free, people. All right, let's go on to something more positive. So, fun equals value, a topic that we all struggle with on a, on a daily, weekly basis in pinball. I want to do one thing right now. I want to read you. I, I think this is a great example of exactly what I'm talking about. I want to read you the comments 
And I'm not going to tell you what the games are first. There are two games for sale in the pinball hobby right now. And I want to read you the comments. And, and then I want to tell you what the game is they're talking about. All right? All right. So this is game number one. $8,000 seems to be a good price for an LE, especially with low plays and home use only. That comment, right, that $8,000 seems to be a good price for this LE, got 17 down votes and zero up votes. All right? Uh, another comment on this game, $8,000, I'd be interested to see where this actually settles. Seems a bit high, right? Um, then... Okay, says the guy who owns one, this is way overpriced. The person who said this game is way overpriced for $8,000 got 17 up votes. All right, 17, no down votes. All right, seems like 7K stock, but market for more. Um, all right, so the market's been soft. As you get to 7,500, they tend to be modded out. Most of these seem to be home use only, so that doesn't add more. So the owner who is price pumping, nice try. Okay, so I just wanna stop there. I wanna stop there on a low play, home use only, LE version of a game by which there are only 400, $8,000 is a ripoff. You're getting screwed. How how dare you, right? You know what game that is? It just happens to be what I think is probably Stern's best pinball machine of all time, Lord of the Rings LE. So here we are, and, and the reason why I wanted to do it this way, here we are. Lord of the Rings Ellie was originally what? What, $6,000, $6,500? Okay, I get it. All Sterns were that price back then. But now, fast forward, fast forward like 10, 11 years, right? It came out in 2008. Lord of the Rings is more packed, is better, has better code, has better toys, is a better experience, is more fun than almost all new Stern pinball machines that I've played, bar none. And yet when someone wants to sell one for a price that's still cheaper than a Deadpool LE, all right, still cheaper than an Aerosmith LE, still cheaper than a Munsters LE, still cheap, I could just keep going on and on and on. It's basically, you don't think a Lord of the Rings in nice condition LE is the same price as a Beatles Gold? You, you, that's ludicrous. And so this is exactly what I'm talking about is what has gone on in this hobby? I mean, Lord of the Rings is a classic. And let me tell you what happens in classic cars or classic watches that, you know, they become a classic because they're great and people who own them love them. And so if there's no more, I don't see Lord of the Rings LEs coming up for sale very often. In fact, if you go over to eBay, there's one on eBay. How much is it listed for? $11,000. And I don't care if this owner bought it and is selling it quickly. It doesn't matter. How are we in a hobby right now where we look at a Lord of the Rings for $8,000 and everybody loses their shit? Everybody's going nuts. Everybody's going crazy. And yet people are paying $9,000 and they've never played the Munsters before, and everyone's applauding. I got one. You really think the Munsters is going to be better than the Lord of the Rings? Do you really think that's going to be the case? Do you, you forget that Lord of the Rings is so goddamn special. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not even showing the game. Out of all the games I've owned, the one that I miss the most is the Lord of the Rings because 
it's just it's just the perfect theme integration, perfect callouts. They didn't rely on the LCD, but the LCD animations are great when you put in a color DMD. The brass looks incredible. When you brass plate that game, it's it's even more beautiful. You could argue, yeah, maybe 8,000 is a lot because he didn't add in the figures or the toys or have any mods in it, but I just can't believe it. All right, now let's go on to the other game. Let me read you the comments here. Here's a comment. I wish it would go into full production, but I've been told it's unlikely to ever happen. Game is super fun and a premature welcome to whoever scoops this up. Based on the last unsolicited offer I got, I assume this goes quickly if the seller is willing to ship stateside. Quickly, he says. That comes from someone you know as Hilton. Keep keep that quote in mind, all right? All right, this is my favorite one. I think this sells fast. Most seem to have given up seeing this game go into productions. All right, I'd love the opportunity to own one of these someday. I love a boutique small run of these. Super cool game. All right. You know what game they're talking about? That this should go quickly? Wrath of Olympus. You know how much money? $25,000. $25,000 because they made only six of the Wrath of Olympuses. One of which Hilton has. Which is so convenient for him to say that based on an, uh, an offer I got, this should go pretty fast. All right. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about it. Wrath of Olympus, a game that's nowhere near as good as Lord of the Rings, gets listed at $25,000. Does it get 17 down votes? No, it has one up vote, no down votes. No, there's actually, there's no down votes anywhere. My favorite comment in this whole section was from Crazy Levy. He wrote, I'm interested in this, but only if it's more expensive and if I don't actually receive the game, we got to do this boutique stuff right. <laughs> I, I thought that was probably one of Levy's greatest comments of all time. And he's right. This, this is like ludicrous. And take a step back of the history of this game. All right, did we, did, have we all, do we all have revisionist history? This isn't some rare game that is amazing that people have wanted that, that didn't go into production because the company closed down. No, this game didn't go into production for one reason. People didn't want it. They couldn't line up 100 buyers of this game. You know why? Because it's not that great of a game. It's not. First of all, look at the cabinet artwork on Wrath of Olympus. It's total shit. It looks like shit. A $5,000 Stern Pro has much nicer artwork than Wrath of Olympus. It's like crappy Photoshop art in this game. Like it's it's so bland the cabinet it just just has the logo of the game on it nothing else on it garbage garbage again I'm not here to insult the game I mean the guys who made this game congratulations but I'm I'm here looking at your machine being where it's where it's being offered for twenty five thousand dollars and I think that's ridiculous and yeah it's great that Hilton you have one there is if anyone buys Wrath of Olympus. For $25,000, do I think you're a moron? And the answer is yes. Was I moronic for buying a broken Magic Girl? Absolutely. I was the biggest idiot on the planet. I thought Magic Girl would have worked. I can't imagine they would have spent an entire year and not be able to fix the game. Now, 
Now, that being said, that's a reason why you see where Magic Girl prices are these days. Magic Girl is still 10 times sexier than Wrath of Olympus, but at least you can play Wrath of Olympus. But Magic Girl prices now, they've there's been one listed for sale now for $16,000. It's my I think it's my friend Robert's over there in New Jersey. Uh, no offers still. It's almost at the point now where uh, you, no one even wants it because they know how frustrating it is to own one. It's it's not it's not even in the same territory of like a Predator or a Wrath of Olympus or an Alien, where at least the game is there. Like you can play it, uh, albeit uh, you know you got to be anxious that you're going to break something on these rare games. So I think it's that's where we're at. Is now this game's worth twenty five thousand dollars? How much was Wrath of Olympus originally? Do you remember? I think it was something like seven thousand seventy five hundred dollars. That so he needed a hundred people to spend something like $7,000 to get the game into production, and he came up short. And remember, when he was asking for that money, that was when we had Dutch Pinball, we had Highway, we had Zidware. Other people were getting deposits on games easily. So why didn't he get deposits on this game? He brought this game to shows. The pinheads all got to play it, and they decided it wasn't the game for them. And now we're supposed to just forget all that, wake up one day and be like, it's a $25,000 game. And who's to say that this game doesn't get made again in the future? It's, it's all been designed. Who's to say that they don't strike a deal with like an American pinball, who we know is in, in desperate need of, of other games to get on the line. And why not make Wrath of Olympus and do new artwork and the game's done and sell a few of them, sell, sell 200 of them, make them, sell them for 10,000 each. I don't know. But this isn't how you do boutique right. Boutique done right is from the beginning, you set a limited number, you make a great game that people want, and then your game becomes classic and becomes celebrated and it becomes in demand. This this whole notion of like take a game that had no demand around it and then say we're not making it anymore and then all of a sudden it's worth this. That's not how, Just to me these are like kit cars. These These are just prototype homebrew projects that, that that's it's not the same it, it just should not warrant this kind of money and anyway that that's where we are with the hobby and, and it brings me to the point of the show of does fun equal value and I, I want to read what Zach Sharp said and then I want to discuss so he wrote pinball has always been about fun and it's capital f-u-n he writes it is the most important factor in the success of any game and the only thing that will keep people engaged and hitting that start button over and over. Well, let me tell you something, Zach. I want to I want to stop there and say I agree. I agree. If a game is boring, if a game sucks, if it's not fun, you're not going to want to replay the game. You're not going to want to own the game. So I wholeheartedly agree there. He then goes on to say, "So much of the lifeblood of a game has nothing to do with the cost of the components used to build that game. Theme integration via sounds, speech, lights, rules, etc. all must work in tandem to heighten the experience of being able to live in that 3D world under glass. Every game I've ever enjoyed and wanted to add to my game room creates those emotional experiences for me as a player, interacting with that world that's at the control of my fingertips. I agree with everything he just said there, but then he he closes out this statement with something interesting. He says, 
whether a game cost 100, 1,000, 10,000, or 100,000 is ultimately irrelevant. How can you say that? How can you say that the price of a pinball machine is irrelevant if it's fun? And this, to me, is where we are with pinball. This notion that costs should just be forgotten. That all the hard work you do in your life to make enough money to buy these non-essential toys, we should not even discuss whether or not you're getting your money's worth. The only conversation we should be having is are you getting your fun worth? And your fun worth to a pinball company like Stern or any of them out there, that's the easy part. You're making pinball. Pinball by nature is fun. It is really hard. It takes more hard work to make a pinball machine not fun, like Magic Girl, than fun, like almost every single pinball machine I play is fun. Like I have fun flipping. It's also fun too. See, I have fun too when I play a game and I enjoy it, but you know what? It's also fun to say, hey, it's not for me. I'm not loving this. I don't need to buy it. That's also fun because then then you come to the mental conclusion that you can save some of your hard-earned money. But to say that the price of a machine doesn't matter, what do you guys think about that? Like that's coming from stern, that's the stern mentality. So we should just not want, you know, so it doesn't matter. And, you know, and I agree that theme integration, sound, speech, light, rules, all that does have to work together. And that's the games that we love, the games that become classics, they do all those things so well, right? They almost do them, there's like, it's like an orchestra. There's a synchronization of all the elements that are blending together in beautiful harmony that leads to a magical pinball experience, right? And that's always what all of you want when you when you buy a game. Some of you are so rich you can just buy games just to play them. You know, you buy a game like you're renting a movie from Blockbuster, you get it in your home, you lose a few hundred bucks, you pass it on, and it's an endless cycle of 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 how you want to enjoy your pinball machines. And I'm saying there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. But I just don't think this whole fun equals value equation is one that is accurate. I think the way I look at it is this. Almost all pinball equals fun, right? Magic equals buying, right? You should only buy a game that's magical, right? But that's not the case, right? We, we buy on theme and artwork now. They know that. Stern knows that. You, you, we are theme and artwork suckers. Before we even know the game is magical, right? Before Marty knows that Munsters is is great game, he bought it. Even though he played Pirates of the Caribbean, but he's not alone. A lot of people are doing that. So we're in that new state now where it doesn't matter how magical the game is, right? And then, then when it comes to like, you know, these rare games, like what should be worth what? I think when it comes to rarity, it needs to be like a combination of things. It needs to have be a great game, have a great story, uh, shoot amazingly well, have incredible artwork, do something that a pinball machine has never done before. Right? These boutique games should be aiming for that. And I think then, then you should get something 
that really skyrockets in value. Like no one, no one looks at a King Kong from Data East and, and wonders why it's worth so much. The story of King Kong was never meant to be a $50,000 game. Same with the original Kingpins. Same with the Big Bang Bar. I mean, I saw some guys trying to sell that Big Bang Bar still for $25,000. When we know the game's going to be remade better, it'll be remade better for for $8,000. Who the hell who the hell would throw away $17,000 on that game that's in a box? We're not that stupid. And that's that's just the thing. I I, I just I think we're 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 being marketed to we're being spoken to like we are dumb and the more we behave like children right just run into the candy store and grab everything even if even if we only have a dollar in our pocket we put ten dollars of candy in our bag we need to stop acting that way and i i i i think we are smart though but when i see that wrath of olympus thread and there's no down votes and everyone is just celebrating the fact that this guy's asking $25,000 for a machine that didn't get made because people didn't want it. And nobody's there to be like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. And yet a guy is asking $8,000 for Lord of the Rings, one of the best machines of all time. That's $17,000 cheaper than Wrath of Olympus. And people are crapping all over him. That to me is where this hobby is at. It's stupid. It's ludicrous. It's odd world insanity at its best. We are shitting on an amazing game that's that's simply being asked just be, just because think about it. That guy's only asking maybe $2,000 more than that game was new. Yet Wrath of Olympus, the guy's asking $18,000 more than it was when it was new and and, and that's okay. And that's what I want to leave you with. I don't have a conclusion here. I think people are smart because I know no one's bought the Wrath of Olympus yet. And 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 Hilton, if you got offered $25,000 for your Wrath of Olympus and you did not sell it for $25,000, you are a fool, my friend. You should have sold it. What? So the, think about that for a minute. He didn't want to take an $18,000 profit on a game because of his love for pinball. How stupid is that? How silly are people? That game is not worth eighteen, twenty-five thousand dollars. It's just not. It's not. You'll never get an experience that comes anywhere close to that. And you'll never have a good story. The game doesn't look good. The game's not a great game. It's not. If it was so great, why didn't people want it? Right? So think about that this weekend as you watch football, you enjoy beer, and think about how do we how do we actually comment in these threads in a way that shows that you guys are educated, thought-provoking, critically thinking men? We should not allow this kind of ridiculousness to exist, all right? And if you haven't voted for me in your twippies, now's the time. Go to thisweekinpinball.com, favorite pinball podcast, Canada. You don't even have to vote for anything else. You can just you can just write in your on the second page, write in your favorite pinball podcast. Um, I'll close out this show with one last bit of news that I forgot to mention that our friend Zach Manny, he is now a pinball distributor. Zach had some really big news. He bought uh, a pinball distribution company, and I should know the name. I don't want to get it wrong. I think it's like this flipping pinball uh, is the name of the company uh, or flipping pinball. Uh, and now he's a distributor, 
which is really awesome news. And, and Zach, we congratulate you. Uh, how they'll do in objective pinball reviews now that he's, I think he's got to give it up. I think when you actually, it's like, it's like, it's like buying a, uh, a car dealership. You kind of then can't still work in the automotive media. So how's he going to do both of those things? Uh, I'm curious. It's okay though. It's okay. If Greg needs a place to go and do podcasts, he's always welcome to come back on the show. But I did see that, that Zach is pretty much selling everything. So if he is selling almost all manufacturers, then I don't think that would prohibit him from being honest about the games. But 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 he's now by nature a salesman. And so when you're a salesman, are you going to be honest? I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. But I know that I'm glad he took this step, and I'll explain why. Because he knows what I know, what Marty knows, what Ryan knows, what everybody knows. You make no money in this industry doing what we do. The money is made. You know who's making money? Nick Parks. You know who's making money? Stern Pinball. A lot of distributors out there are making good money. They're selling a lot of machines. And I think that Zach loves pinball. He thinks about pinball all day long. He wants to make pinball part of his career in a way where he can do wake up and do what he loves every day and make money doing it. And this was a really smart move to do that. So we wish him the best of luck. We look forward to seeing what comes of, of, of his venture. And he's got a lot of fans. And so if you're going to buy from someone and you're a fan of Zach, now you got now you now you can actually not just be his buddy, but you can you can help. You know, send his kids to college. I think that's a good thing. Zach, congratulations, brother. Um, we'll talk to you all real soon. The, the next podcast will be the Quinn interview. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I'll say this, though. Like, he couldn't talk about that much. So that that's just where we're at. Deep Roots keeping stuff close to the vest. So there's not going to be like a huge reveal that's happened on the show. But it's interesting to see his take on pinball because he doesn't come from pinball. And that's that's interesting. I don't think any other game company has a, a storyteller on board the way they have Quinn on over at Deep Roots. So check it out. That'll be episode 303. Everyone, have a great Sunday. Have a great Martin Luther King Day. I know you guys are probably off tomorrow. I am. Uh, so you get to listen to Canada's Pinball Podcast uh, and enjoy it on your, on your day off. Everyone, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.